Welcome to episode 153 of the Truth Quest podcast, the truth about how to change the world. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as leftist lunacy, critical race theory, the trial of Officer Derek Chauvin, the gun show loophole, or illegal immigration comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on a host of platforms including iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, BitChute, Brighteon, ThinkSpot, Rumble, and Instagram where I post a short highlight of each show at instagram.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Whatever platform you may be listening to this on, please take a moment and leave a five-star rating or a positive review. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through online advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Hat tip to one of my favorite podcasters, Brian McClanahan, who produced an episode on his podcast based off of an article he read on lewrockwell.com by Alan Stevo entitled, How to Run for School Board and Win Every Time. I agree with McClanahan's sentiments and his analysis, and I thought I would add my two cents. A link to the article and to Brian's podcast will be in the show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com. We spend way too much time focusing on the willfully negligent clowns in Washington, D.C. I am as guilty as anyone. We need to wean ourselves off of the D.C.-centric focus and spend our energy thinking locally and acting locally, to steal a phrase from McClanahan. As I have documented in numerous episodes, most notably episode 19, The Truth About Elections in Washington, D.C., from a national perspective, from the perspective of Washington, our government is beyond reform. A majority of our so-called representatives are willfully negligent and routinely violate their oath of office to support and defend the United States Constitution. Here's what the whole oath sounds like. I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will take this obligation freely without any mental reservations or purpose of evasion, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I am about to enter, so help me God. These people, both Republicans and Democrats, have jumped the shark in so many arenas that there is no coming back from it. We are bankrupt. In a strict sense of the word, we are fiscally, financially, and economically bankrupt. Broadly speaking, they have bankrupt us culturally. The election system is bankrupt. Our judicial and law enforcement institutions are bankrupt. They have bankrupted or corrupted the free market capitalistic system that made America great, and they replaced it with a crony capitalistic system. The immigration system is bankrupt. Everything Washington, D.C. touches turns to shit. How did this happen? Drum roll, please. We live in a post-constitutional America. The federal government is no longer limited. It literally is unlimited in scope. I would argue that close to 90% of what the feds do is unconstitutional, meaning it ain't in the Constitution. They are out of control. The genie is out of the bottle. The horses escape the pen. Whatever analogy you want to use, there is no way to go back. That is why the concept of nullification is gaining so much traction today. This is the subject of episode 23, if you want to check that out. 
In a nutshell, this is where local or state officials refuse to comply with unconstitutional dictates from the feds. The most often cited example is federal marijuana laws. States simply ignore the laws and refuse to enforce them. We have cities and entire states, i.e. California, calling themselves sanctuary cities in an effort to nullify the enforcement of federal immigration laws. Another big one is the nullification of unconstitutional gun control laws. States simply refuse to enforce them, or they make it illegal for state law enforcement officers to aid federal officials in the enforcement of the law. So back to the article and the title of this episode. So with D.C. beyond reform, we the people need to focus on what's going on in our backyard. When in the title I say the truth about how to change the world, I'm referring to your world, not the entire world per se. I'm thinking about your local community, your region, your state. This article that was the impetus for this episode, again, is entitled How to Run for School Board and Win Every Time. And it provides 36 steps you can follow to win a local election, every time, according to the author. For some of you, this information will simply be food for thought, but for others, this might be the roadmap for you or someone you know who might pursue an elective office one day. So let's dive into the article. The first piece of advice the author provides is to get to know your county clerk. They hold the keys to everything related to local elections, filing dates, deadlines, requirements. Some county clerks will have an attorney on payroll to handle election stuff. Find out who that is and get his or her phone number and email address. Next, articulate a very simple core issue that you are running on. This is key. Keep it simple and don't stray or be sucked into other issues. I have often thought about running for state legislature with a simple message of, what can I do to minimize the government's involvement in your life? Basically, I'm thinking, I'll go to state capital and reduce the size and scope. That could be regulations on business, unnecessary taxes, overbearing or inefficient bureaucracies, privatizing stuff, whatever. I always envisioned it being a citizen-driven agenda. You go to my website, you tell me what pisses you off about the state government, and I will do what I can to make it better. If you're running for school board, you might go in with a single core issue of eliminating critical race theory from your county's curriculum, or you are going to push for a curriculum that teaches religion in schools. The author says, quote, focus on your key issues. Don't get distracted. Lots of people will want to distract you. Your thoughts on the latest war are not relevant. Your thoughts on the controversial sewer improvements are not relevant. Your political party preference in national politics is not relevant, end quote. The author now turns to the practical components of running for office, starting with building and activating a network of people to help you. He argues that you don't need a campaign manager for a school board run. You can handle that on your own. But even if it's not necessary to have one, with the right person, it makes the campaign much easier and can have a powerful impact because it spreads the load and allows people to specialize and focus their efforts. It helps for one person to have one set of duties, be the candidate, and another person to have another set of duties, manage the organization, and be responsible for everything else. And most importantly, the structure can help you challenge your network and make a loose network into an even more cohesive organization. If you're lucky enough to be surrounded by loyal supporters, don't just appoint a campaign manager whose job it is to operate the campaign. Have a finance committee manager whose job it is to help bring in checks. Have a treasurer whose job it is to keep records. Have a volunteer coordinator whose job it is to recruit new volunteers, train them, and activate them. Have a coalition outreach captain 
whose job it is to befriend other groups in the community. As the campaign progresses, you will see people gravitate towards certain roles, says the author. Don't be afraid to ask them to take on a role and give them a title. The author goes on to argue that you do not necessarily need professionals. You can surround yourself with like-minded people from the community and let them gravitate towards the roles that play to their strengths. When it comes to the campaign budget, you may be thinking that higher or more is better. That's not necessarily true. Believe it or not, your budget is largely irrelevant if you run a well-organized grassroots campaign. That will become more clear in just a minute. Now, let's focus on campaigning. The first order of business is to get a list of all registered voters. Then get a precinct map. And then, knock on every door of every voter in that district. This is the most important part of winning local office. If no one is home, leave a note signed by you with the contact information. Remember, yes, you are running for office and trying to win, but you're also trying to build a coalition of like-minded people. So as you cold call, so to speak, knocking on doors, some people will naturally be attracted to your message. That's what you're after. So while knocking on every door is the most important thing, the second most important thing is the, to identify who your supporters are and build your list. Very clearly ask them if they will vote for you. You want a clear yes or no. Next, you want to stay in touch with your supporters. This can be as simple as a blind carbon copy email once or twice a week just to let your followers know what's going on and as you're progressing towards your goals. Get your supporters engaged to the greatest extent they are willing. Voting for you is great, but contributing financially and voting for you is better. Voting for you and volunteering some of their time is better than just voting. Voting for you and pushing your message in their local sphere of influence is better than just voting for you. The author argues that you cannot badger your supporters enough about casting the ballot for you. He says, quote, until they say they have voted for you, keep contacting them to come out to vote for you. After they've said that, invite them to come volunteer on election day, end quote. Along these same lines, if you have the manpower, have a volunteer present at early voting locations in your district to give your name a push. Now, long before election day, contact your old friend, the county clerk, and get the manual for election officials and poll watchers. Understand this manual. There's a lot to be learned from it. The author ends the article with a series of steps to follow during voting and after the election is over, such as utilizing poll watchers, having supporters at the polls on election day, passing out your literature, canvassing the vote, and to consider having an election lawyer on speed dial just in case things go sideways. The author concludes with this, quote, the process is not rocket science. Any good and diligent person who wants to win a seat for school board or state senate can do it this way, and it sometimes even works for offices bigger than that, end quote. The point is, local politics is really what matters. Regardless of what the willfully negligent clowns are doing in D.C. to ruin the country, and regardless of what talking heads are saying on TV or online about what our willfully negligent clowns are doing in D.C. to ruin the country, your life is more influenced by the local sheriff, the district attorney, the school board, the city council, mayor, state legislatures, and your secretary of state than any of the national nonsense. And guess what? If your local sheriff, DA, school board, city council, mayor, state legislature, or secretary of state turns out to be a willfully negligent clown, you now have a roadmap on how to replace them. You don't need millions of dollars, political consultants, and a PR department. The recipe is pretty simple. 
a clear message, a good pair of shoes, well, maybe three or four given that you're knocking on every door. Mix in a little perseverance, diligence, organization, and a few supporters willing to help you out, and you, my friend, may be on your way to an elected office. Those of you who live in relatively small towns, especially if you have lived there for a long time, you will be surprised just how massive your sphere of influence is. I would venture to say that many of you would have little or no trouble getting 50 to 100 people willing to help get you elected, especially with the right message, or if the person you are looking to replace is a scoundrel to begin with. If running for office isn't your cup of tea, but you know someone who should consider it, send them this episode in the article. Encourage them. Offer to help them. Be one of their supporters. If, on the other hand, this is something that you have considered, or more likely you've been bitching about all those losers who run your city or state, it may be time for you to take action. Either way, I wish you luck. And that is the truth about how to change the world. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast, especially if you ever decide to run for office. I'd love to hear from you.